Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. This morning, I prayed to Jesus, and I prayed that just as He kept His disciples' eyes from recognizing Him after the resurrection and on the road to Emmaus, that he would keep at least some people's eyes from recognizing that Father Mike Schmitz was on the schedule at the same time as me. (laughs) And you are the answer to my prayers, y'all. Prayer works, yeah. I don't know what the capacity of this room is, but um, let's just just call it 500 to make us feel good. (laughs) We'll round it up to 5,000. And I think right now, I, I feel bad for Father Mike because there's so many people here. He's not used to like less than 18,000, so he's probably feeling a little bit alone. I have to admit, I brought um, a Catholic study Bible with me. I don't plan to use it in my talk at all. I brought this in case there were 12 or less people, I was going to do a small group. So now I have a Bible. Is there anybody in the room, be honest and, 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 and don't be ashamed, is there anybody in the room that does not own a Catholic Bible? Somebody come get it. It's yours, brother. It's awesome. Thank you. Let's be serious. I wonder if any of us, this is our first full day of Seek. I wonder if any of us have actually stopped and have focused to see what is actually on our hearts and what we're asking to receive while we're here. I know that that, um, beautiful voice on the intercom that came on as I was sitting over here said that you were about to get a show. You're getting no show. False advertising from Focus, not from me. There's no show to be had. In fact, what you came here for, whether you know it or not, and the reason that, that this SEEK conference exists, the reason that I said yes to come speak here is because I desire people's hearts to be moved, to be changed, to be conformed to the heart of Jesus Christ, and for him to fulfill the desires in your heart in ways that you may not have expected. And so in order to do that, I just ask you, have, have you asked the question yet since you've been here What is your desire as you come here today? What is your desire? Why did you travel here? What do you want the Lord to do in your life? And so let's ask those things right now in prayer. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks and praise for the gift of this room of people who come to you with great desires in their heart. We ask that you would allow us to recognize what those desires are even now so that we may bring them to you, you who desire to answer. Jesus, why did I come to a talk today from a priest? Jesus, why did I come to a talk today by an athlete? Jesus, why did I talk come to a talk today about identity.
Jesus, we just entrust all these things to you. We ask that you help us to make us more aware of our desires and that we may always believe that you desire more for us than we desire for ourselves. We consecrate ourselves once again to the Blessed Virgin Mary, knowing that wherever she is, her divine spouse is always united to her, the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I offered Mass this morning for an ex-teammate of my heart because I knew I was going to talk about him today. His name is Mauricio Villanueva. It was just my second year of playing professional soccer in the country of Chile. I was just kind of getting used to to things. I was on my second contract on my second team, so I just moved into this this new city. And I was playing on this team, and, and I didn't speak Spanish very well. I was getting the hang of it. I was getting the knack. I could understand most things, but I still felt a little bit out of my element. And so Mauricio was this guy that was like mature beyond the other guys. He was about in the middle of his career and, and he, was just, he was just joyful. He was mature. He was the one that was kind of, he like looked out for me. When I, like he clearly saw sometimes I didn't understand what coach would say and he would like come over real quick and like explain it to me, make sure that I got it. He was that guy. He was the guy that like would invite me over to his house. He was recently married. So he, would inv- he and his wife would invite me over just because they knew I probably didn't get many invites from teammates, you know. He was a guy that had a really successful young career. He became a professional at 17 years old, and now he was in his mid-20s. And I think he saw a little bit in me what he wished he had for himself when he was a young player. Well, it turns out a few years later, I came back to the United States. I, I, I came to seminary, and I kept like, in touch with a few of the guys and just kind of looked at their careers. Mauricio was one of them. Mauricio, sad to say, he got injured shortly after that. He didn't get picked up to, by a team, and, and kind of his, his career kind of just fizzled out after that, for lack of a better term. I heard that, you know, basically from the other guys, what he was doing, he, with the money that he had left over from soccer, he bought a liquor store as kind of his, like, his small business, and he bought a small taxi company. Those were the things, he didn't have any education. 17 years old, when he started playing soccer, didn't finish high school, didn't go to college, didn't really have much to go on, except for a little nugget of money that he had from playing. And that's where his career ended. I'll never forget June of 2017. June of 2017, I was in my third year of priesthood. And I got a call that Mauricio had died. And he had committed suicide. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's not the guy I know. That can't be possible. What what, what happened? And so I, I reached out and I started calling, like, what happened? And they said, you know, Mauricio, after he stopped playing, you know, like, I don't know, he didn't, he didn't talk to any of us. He, like, kind of cut all of us off. Like, we, we, we stopped talking. I heard that he was just angry. He started drinking. He was never really much of a partier. He was, he was drinking a lot. He and his wife were on and off, and, and the kids were in and out of his life. And, and his, his, his first daughter, after I had left the country, I didn't even know. I never met his daughters. His first daughter had Down syndrome. He was just so disappointed at everything that was going on in his life. He thought he should have had more chances in soccer. Now, I'll 
I'll never pretend to understand what was going on with him or anyone who's been on that point of despair. I don't know those details. And I pray that you and I will never be at a place like that. But as I heard the guys, there's something that just, just angered me when I, when I heard them speak. You know what they said? It seemed like they said all of these things that were going on in his life, but then at the end they said, but if he, if he were just able to like, to play one more time, like why, why didn't that coach like give him another shot? Like if he could have just played soccer for a little bit longer, he still would be with us. If he could have just went back to that team where he had so much success and just finished his career there, he would have been happy. And what I heard in my mind, what I heard them saying was, if he could just wear the jersey one more time, then he would have been okay. And I knew downright that that was wrong. And those of you who have been athletes, you and I have experienced something similar as well. And even if you're not an athlete, if you loved something so much and gave your life to it, you know the experience that when it's left behind, you wonder where life is going next. You wonder sometimes why people don't associate you with that thing. You might not know who exactly who you are in that moment. Mauricio's problem was not that he couldn't wear the jersey again. The problem was he didn't know who he was when the jersey came off. He had an identity crisis. He had a misplaced identity in a sport, in a jersey, in an identity of who he was as a soccer player since 17. It was his whole life. Again, I don't, I don't pretend to understand those details of what he went through or what anybody goes through. But the only way that I can understand that is telling you a little bit what he went through about how I experienced the sport, of how I had a little bit of an identity crisis going from professional soccer to being a priest. And so just like maybe any other young kid, at some point I recognized in myself that I wanted to be great at something. I wanted to do something really special in my life. I wanted to be known. I wanted to be loved, right? St. Thomas Aquinas says, we are made to be known and loved. That's natural. That's okay. But I didn't know how. And then when we're young, we, we just don't know how. We don't know exactly how that's going to take place or how that's going to happen. And so naturally, we look at people that we, we were inspired by when we see excellence. And I know for me that when I thought about who I was going to be and how I was going to be great and how I was going to live excellence... It was wrapped up in my manhood. I, like, I wanted to be a real man who did those things. Like that, that's what I wanted my identity to be. I wanted to be a, a real man. So how do I grow authentic masculinity? And it was not the same definition that Monsignor Shea gave this morning. In fact, I saw manhood through the lens of athletes because they had everything that I considered to be great. These athletes like Michael Jordan, who is probably my, my favorite athlete of all time. Basketball didn't work out for me. But in the game of soccer, I have to say, not because he was the greatest soccer player at the time, but he was the most popular soccer player at the time, a young kid named David Beckham, who was definitely older. But when I was, when my brother and I, when we were, you know, in our teen years, he was just 20 years old. And David Beckham played him on, the, on maybe the greatest team in the entire world at the time, Manchester United. And he had everything. He had so much money. He drove big cars. He had big houses. He married a Spice Girl. 
And he was like this cultural figure, and everybody was looking at him. I mean, even across the pond, we're, we're over here watching him, thinking that he's some kind of idol. And I remember at that point thinking, I want what he has. Sometimes we say, I want to be him. I want to be like him. I want to be like Michael Jordan. But I wanted what David Beckham had. I wanted to be like that. And so from just seeing those athletes, from that time on, I realized that my excellence, my greatness, was going to come through wearing a jersey. How do I get one of those jerseys? How do I put that on? How do I play that game? And because I had family, my parents were both athletes growing up. My brother and I were just naturally athletic. It just kind of came easy to us. And sometimes we believe that because we're so good at something, that that's what God wants us to do. And no doubt, I am so grateful for my athletic career. I love sports to this day, and I believe it's God's gift to me. I don't take that for granted. Don't ever hear me in this entire talk downplay sports and, and, and what role they play. But I remember at that time thinking, this is the way it's going to be, and I just want to wear. I remember thinking every time that I wore a jersey, it was never enough. I just wanted the next jersey. If anybody here has ever put a jersey on before, even if it wasn't yours, before I put any other jersey on, I wore Michael Jordan's jersey. I had that one on for the first time, and I felt like a superhero. Now imagine when you get your own jersey because you made a team, because somebody said, you earned this. This is who you are. And it's placed over your head. Then I realized that I actually had something. I felt like I belonged to something. When you belong to a team, you belong to something bigger. That's why we love being here at Seek. We belong to a family. We belong to something bigger than us. We all desire that. I remember for the first time, like tasting the greatness of athletics, seventh grade. In seventh grade, Holy Trinity basketball won the 7A state championship. It is one of my greatest athletic feats of all time. Love it. It's one of my favorite memories because that's when I got the taste of greatness, excellence, when I realized this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But then I said, what, what's the next jersey? And for anybody who's ever been junior high wearing a jersey, you know that the greatest thing in the entire world would be to wear the high school jersey. I just want to, I want to play under those lights. I want to play when people pay to get into my games. I want to play when like, people come just to watch the sport and not because they have to. Like, I want that kind of level. Like, that would, be, that would be great. And maybe we might even say things like, that might be enough for me if I could just play a, a high school sport. Well, my brother Blaze and I got to play together in high school. We went to two state tournaments in soccer together. I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, what a feat. Not everybody gets to do that. And immediately in high school, you know what I was thinking about? It was the next jersey. What's the next jersey that I can put on? What's the next jersey I can wear? Because this isn't enough. This enough. But if I were able to play college soccer, that would, that would be enough. Like, that, that's, top, that's top of the line in the United States, right? I want to play college soccer. And so Blaze and I both were, were thinking about college soccer and how do we do that? And Blaze went a year earlier before me. He went to Butler University. Is anybody here from Butler University? Pagans. <laughs> Butler. We're going to pray for Butler. Um, <laughs> Butler University. And it was there that he met his wife, Krista, my now sister-in-law, who also wore a jersey on the women's soccer team. A year later, I went to Clemson University and got to wear that college jersey, the thing that I always wanted. I remember being in college, and I want to tell you this, especially to college students. 
I remember wearing the jersey that I said that would fulfill all things, that would be the jersey that I would wear that would be like, this is the ultimate thing that I could do. I remember being on that college campus, the vet of school. I remember complaining my entire life about going to mass with my parents, and we went every Sunday. We were fanatics. Every Sunday. But every Sunday, and I was like, this is crazy. Like, I can't wait to the day so I can do whatever I want, that I can just be independent. I can be the man that I want to be. I'm trying to be the man that I want to be. I remember that first week being on campus. I don't know if you guys had this thought. Do I go to Mass this Sunday? And I remember thinking at that moment, am I a hypocrite if I go to Mass this Sunday? Because I've been saying for years that I would never do it. I would never go on my own. But then there was, there was this moment of grace. The Lord always intervenes. There was this moment of grace in which I thought, if I don't go to Mass this Sunday, do I still call myself a Christian? If I stop talking to God, if I stop worshiping God, do I still like, call myself a Catholic when I like, introduce my campus? I remember it scared me, and not, not into my virtue of saying, I need this, I want this, I desire this, but perhaps into this, this fear of saying, I don't know who I am if I'm not Catholic. I was brought up in such a way that I didn't know what a Hilgenbrink was if he were not Catholic. And little by little, that was the first time that I thought that our church might be bigger than the jersey that I had put on. It was the first time. I'm not even sure that I was conscious of that, but I realized that there was something bigger than my dreams, than what I had hoped for. Well, I tell you what, that year, my freshman year at Clemson University, I wasn't very good at living as a Catholic, but I was being faithful to Sunday Mass. And I remember as I did that, I made a promise. I don't know where it came from. Only God's grace. I made a promise to God that I would be a practicing Catholic for the rest of my life. I just wonder, the only reason I share that part of the story is I wonder if any of you have made any promises to God, any goals of something that you will do for the rest of your life. It's kind of crazy to say that I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. But let me tell you, if you don't make that promise now, I know you're different than all other Catholics, but if you don't make that promise now, statistically 70% of the ones who are sitting in this room will not be Catholic by the time you graduate. 70% of you will leave the Catholic Church. So what commitments are you making now? Who are you? What jersey are you wearing What jersey do you perceive that is greater than God's glory that lives within you? Maybe this weekend, this week, you're being asked. Maybe that's the desire in your heart to know who you are for the rest of your life. And right now, if you make that promise, you will know who you are. You are a baptized Catholic who is living out mission in our church. And that's who you're going to be. You don't have to guess anymore. Wear that jersey. Put that jersey on before you leave. I got to graduate from Clemson University, which I'm also proud of. I got to move to South America, to the country of Chile, which is where I signed my first contract, which is where I got my start. It's the place that I first got to taste a New Jersey because 
as you probably know, in college, once I got there, I realized that that jersey wasn't enough either. And I wanted more. And I realized that I didn't know who I, leaving college, I was like, what do I do? Just go to like get a job? <laughs> I'm not putting anybody down here. <laughs> I didn't know what I would do. What if I, I would do if I weren't a soccer player? I felt like I didn't have many choices. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to be a soccer player. But I, I, there was no other plan besides that. Not yet. And so I moved to South America. I moved to this place where I knew no one, and no one knew me. It was this place where everything in my life changed. I thought I was going down there to be David Beckham of Chile. And I quickly realized that they didn't even want me there. Who is this North American that thinks that he can come down here and play soccer in a real soccer country? Who's this guy that like, can't even speak our language and wants to be friends? I didn't know where I was at or what I was doing, but maybe even in my pride, I just wanted more. As I often say, there's only two things in my life that never change, and they're the two universals. Two of the great universals of the truth of our life. One is the game of football. I know you probably saw some of the commercials for the World Cup. It is everywhere but the United States. It was the game of football. The rules didn't change. Even though I didn't understand the language on the field, even when my coach was cursing me out in Spanish, I had no idea what he was saying, but I knew exactly what he wanted. <laughs> and the other was the Catholic Church. The universal Catholic Church. And only because I was a practicing Catholic did I have a home in Chile, in the Catholic Church. I didn't understand the language. I didn't know what the priest was saying, but I knew exactly what he wanted. I knew when to stand, sit, and kneel. I knew when to come forward for communion. I knew when to pray the Our Father in English. I knew when to beat my chest and ask for forgiveness of my sins. I knew when to make the sign of the cross and receive the blessing. I knew all of those things. I was at home there. And so I found my home there in those two places. And those first six months, I, I remember being there, and I, I remember thinking, I, I know growing up, I, I, had, I had prayed the Hail Mary, the Our Father, I knew the Creed, I knew a few prayers, I knew those things, but I didn't know what to do when I sat before Jesus, like just sitting before him, like personal relationship with Jesus Christ, like I heard my Protestant friends talk about that, I didn't know what it was. In fact, I would say I didn't know how to pray, but when I sat before him, you know what I did? I just started to tell him what was on my heart, like my desires, just like we did before we started. Yeah, like, like, Jesus, this is what's in my heart. This is what I desire. It turns out that that was probably the best prayer of my entire life. Sometimes I complicate it even now as a priest. I want to know if I'm doing it all right. Is that good prayer? Was it not good prayer? I don't know. I remember just telling him my desires. And in one of those times of telling him my desires, Lord, I just want to be comfortable. I just want a life that's, that's, that's comfortable which I'm ashamed of now. Not because Benedict XVI, our Pope Emeritus, whom we lay to rest on Thursday, he would later say to the youth once he became the Pope, you were not made for, made for greatness. And when I made that prayer to Jesus, I had forgotten that I desired to be great in my heart. I forgot that desire. I stopped telling him that I wanted to be great and I started telling him I wanted to be comfortable. And the difference between being great and being comfortable is suffering, is sacrifice. And so at that time, I heard these words, and I heard them from Jesus, and they were the most clear words that I've ever heard from Jesus, even until now. And I heard the words, be my priest. 
I was like, I'm in the first six months of playing professional soccer. Like, how's that going to work? That is like the most uncomfortable that I've been hearing those words. Like, I, I, I don't want that. And in fact, it's not my definition of being a man. Actually, being a priest defies every single point of my definition of being a man. Not being terribly popular, not making a lot of money, not having by your side, <laughs> not having a big house, a big car, all of those things that I desired, those are the things that I wanted. That was my jersey. And so I ran away from that. It would be about three years later that we were playing in a championship game, still in Chile. Playing in a championship game, we won the championship. Mauricio Villanueva, I have to tell you this story. This is the good, uh, good story. Mauricio Villanueva in the championship game chipped the keeper from 25 yards out. Beautiful goal, amazing. I just watched it on the internet the other day. I didn't even know it existed out there, but I found it. 25 yards out, chipped the goalkeeper. Amazing. We won the championship that day. We partied for a week. People got off work in the whole city. Didn't have to go to work, just, just, a, just a party because this was such a feat. I remember laying in my bed and being up that night, not being able to sleep. I remember saying to Jesus, like, Jesus, like, this is it. Remember my prayer, like, years ago when I was all these things? Like, now I'm here. Three years later, you finally, like, you're finally responding. And I was saying, like, this is it. This is it. And then in a moment of grace, just like my freshman year of college, it was that clear that I remember saying, wait a second. Like, this is it? That's all? Like, there's nothing more? I don't want another jersey. There's no, there's no more jerseys to wear. And I realized that I was unsatisfied. It was at that moment, at that moment, the grace that I received was the grace to receive, the grace knowing that my dreams, my jerseys, the jerseys that I put on for myself would never fulfill me. Y'all, this is the message about the jersey. This is not necessarily a sports talk. This is just my experience and my testimony through the lens of sport. But my question is for you is, what jersey do you wear? And that jersey could be music. It could be, it could be academia. It could be the, the job that you want. It could be one of the relationships that you're in. It could be your desire to please your parents. What is the jersey that you wear that you say, I have to put this on because it's greater than what lives within me? In fact, so much so that I'm not always sure that God's going to come through, so I have to do something to cover for him. So I'm going to wear this jersey in case he can't figure it out, I'll figure it out. How many people do I hear in college say, I just got to figure it out, I just got to figure it out. If I just worked hard, I just figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. It's not you who figures it out. Take that jersey off. I think it comes with this misconception, this understated philosophy I lived with most of my life, and I see most of the world living with now, that it says this, that life is only as exciting as I make it. It's up to me. Life is up to me. And so I'm going to put a bunch of jerseys on to give my life meaning because I'm not sure that God's going to come through. Do you live with that jersey? 
Is that your philosophy? Have you ever stated that? I never said that until I was a priest. I didn't realize until looking back. Life is only as exciting as I make it, so I better figure it out. I have greater desires than God has for me. I don't think he has as big a desires as I have. What a lie. What a lie to live with and to experience and to realize one day that that jersey is never enough. I'm just telling you now so you don't get to where I was at 25 years old thinking that you have to do this. And you know what one of the greatest obstacles to me, for me, call to the priesthood was? Not knowing who I was without the jersey. What do I do? People aren't going to see me as a soccer player anymore? I've been doing this for 20 years. I started when I was five. Who am I without this? What have you given your life to? It doesn't mean that it's something bad. It doesn't mean that it's something wrong. But it could be misplaced. It could be covering up the dignity of the jersey that you wear beneath. The jersey that's stamped on you by your baptism. The jersey that was given to you by your baptism. And it was given to you again, another jersey. If you wanted another one, you got another one at confirmation. And those of you who seek a sacred vocation, which I highly suggest, you're going to put on another jersey. It's going to be given to you by our Lord. I retired in 2008. I had an unbelievable grace in God's providence two weeks before I left for seminary. I was living in Boston playing for the New England Revolution. And on the 4th of July of 2008, we flew to LA to play the Los Angeles Galaxy. And y'all know this ritual after games where soccer players literally take off their jerseys, right? And they trade them with one another. I found myself face to face with a bare chested David Beckham. <laughs> and unfortunately, he did not give me his jersey. <laughs> he actually traded with one of my teammates, who was his former teammate. But I remember going up to David Beckham. I remember the hand clasp, the bro hug, and the walk away. And I remember that somehow we ended up walking out down the tunnel together. And it was surreal. I was, I was, I was elated. I was like, this is, this is so, like, I'm retiring next week and no one knows. And here's David Beckham, the guy that kind of I looked up to my entire life. And as the paparazzi kind of like took him away and I walked out without any, any flashes. I remember walking down that tunnel by myself, getting off the field, and I remember also being on the bus after the game and just being silent. I remember there was, this, there was this peace inside of me. I remember saying these words to myself, or maybe they were God speaking these words through my own voice. I remember saying the words like, why, why am I so peaceful right now? Why, why? Don't I want to be like him? I remember the words being, I don't have to be like him. I don't have to be like him. It was like the jersey came off that day. All this time, the Lord was working on my, I don't have to anymore. I don't, I don't have to wear that jersey anymore. I don't have to. One week later, one week later, I'm sitting back in my locker in Boston, 
maybe like a day before I leave. And one of my teammates comes and he sits right beside me in the locker room. By this time, the whole team knew that I was leaving, knew that I was going to seminary, and knew that I was going to be a priest, and I got very few questions. It was really strange. (laughs) And the questions that I got, I will not be able to tell about those stories right here and now. I remember a teammate sitting right next to me, and he said, you know, Chase, I was thinking last night, and this guy wasn't a thinker. (laughs) I remember him saying, he was sitting right next to me, he says, you know, I was just thinking, I was thinking last night, like, what you're doing, and like, I don't understand all that, I don't know, like, uh, what it is to be a priest, I don't know what you're doing going to seminary, I don't don't get that. But he said, what I do know is that you are the only one in this locker room, as I look around, you're the only one in this locker room that's going to leave because you want to. There was almost a sadness about him and a seriousness about it. He wasn't joking. There was a sadness. Almost he was saying like, what will we do? He said, everybody else in here is going to be asked to leave. And there was a sadness about him almost to say like, I don't know what I'll do when I get asked to leave. Almost to say, I don't know who I am when the jersey comes off. It could be next year. It could be three years from now, but I don't know what I'll do with my life. And that was one of the greatest compliments that I've ever gotten from somebody who didn't understand the priesthood. And so the question for all of us is who are we when that jersey comes off? Maybe the first question before that is what jersey are you wearing? What jersey have you bought into? Not because it isn't good, What jersey do you wear that says, this covers for God who might not come through? What is it that's covering your baptismal dignity and you're staking your life on it? You don't know who you are without this relationship, without this person, without doing this, without being at that university, without getting this degree and without getting that job. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'll do. That's a misplaced identity. And you know the jersey that you already wear? the jersey of baptism, confirmation, the jersey of the virtues that you wear, the choices that you've made in your life. The jerseys that we wear now should be only the jerseys that enhance our original dignity. I don't know if you've ever noticed what the priests and the religious wear. It's meant to enhance our baptismal dignity to show who we are. And it's meant to be a sign for you, not necessarily for us, but to remind us every time that we put it on, that I wear this black every day to signify, as St. Paul says, that I have died with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's the jersey that I put on every day. That the scriptures say that faith comes through hearing. And so there's the light coming from my throat that's reminding me that if I don't preach the gospel, that others will not hear it and they won't come to faith. When you guys see tomorrow morning, when you go to Mass tomorrow morning, you see the sea of priests coming in there. You're going to see them with those white albs, that is that, that big white garment that they wear over their clerics to hide the death of one so they can represent Christ who is the light of the world. It's to remind you of your baptismal dignity, that you wore a white dress one time when you were baptized, and that's who you are, and that's why we're in this Mass together. That's why we're a family That's why we belong together, through our baptism. The priest wears that little belt around his waist called a cincture. 
The cincture is the belt of chastity. It's to remind the priest and it's to remind you that because of his baptismal dignity, because who he is and who he has become, he is to consecrate his entire body to that mission of being a baptized Christian and to live it out by his deeds and not just by his words. You'll see all the priests tomorrow wearing a stole. That stole enhances that baptismal dignity to say that not only are we Christians, not only do we serve and consecrate our lives and our bodies to the Lord, but we keep the law and we teach the law. Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the commandments. He came to fulfill them. And so we're meant to preach those and teach those commandments so that the church may live and be clear and to know. And you won't see the priest wearing it tomorrow, but you will see the bishops. They wear a chasuble over the top of that stole and over the top of that alb. That chasuble is to remind us that Jesus did come to fulfill the law. The law is still underneath it, but over the top of that, of that stole is the fulfillment of the law, which is charity. All of these jerseys that the priest puts on. And you think, I get to ask the question all the time, so I'm just going to answer it for you now. You think I want to go back to soccer? Do you understand the jerseys that we wear now? And I can tell you, by wearing those jerseys, the jerseys that you wear, the jerseys that you will wear, confirm who we are and allow us to know who we are when all the other jerseys that we've put on come off. I've never been so comfortable in my skin until I was a priest, until I lived out my baptismal dignity. Somebody asked me, what is it like to raise the Eucharist at Mass? What is it like to hold Jesus in your hands, to say those words, and that, that bread becomes the flesh of Jesus? What is that like? I said, I can't, I, I don't know. I, I can't really explain it to you. I can just say, I feel like this is who I was made to be. I wonder if that's a desire in your heart. I ask this question. If we never respond to God's invitation in our life to live out that baptismal dignity, to live the mission of confirmation into a sacred vocation, will we ever, will you ever become the person that God created you to be? That should be the only fear of our life. Not becoming saints, not becoming who we're created to be. And until we embrace that, love that, seek that, then we'll always be putting on new jerseys, seeking for the next jersey, looking for the next one to put on so that we can come through in case God doesn't. And so I ask you today, what jerseys are you wearing? And who are you when the jersey comes off? Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.